Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You know, I can't help but laugh at um, the state of, of Red Wings fandom because we are like deep. We are thick in the rebuild. Like we are so far in that what's funny isn't funny and that what's not funny at all keeps us up for days laughing. Like we're just so back asswards as a fan base from coping with this rebuild that I had so much genuine joy and excitement when watching Phil Peronic score an empty net goal. Like highlight of the weekend where this bad team got two straight wins look great a lot of individual highlights but all i could think of like, like i was the most giddy about was philip Ronick scoring an empty net goal that's just the state of us right now yep i mean you know sveshnikov scoring again and rasmussen bearing his first of the year you know side notes really look man <laughs> <laughs> 200 foot piss missiles straight to the middle of the net like <laughs> Yeah, that's I, old hat. We've seen it a thousand times. That's Heronic's thing. I still can't get over. It's like that stupid meme where like there's an angry person that says, no, you can't do this, blah, 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 blah. Or like you can't just put money into any stock and then you you make money back. And then it's the meathead going, ah, stonks go brr. That's essentially Philip Heronic with points right now. <laughs> like he's not having a great season in a lot of respects. Like we, we want a lot more from Philip Heronic as a defenseman and uh i think leading the lead the team in points still his two goals are empty net goals just got a bunch of like <laughs> games where you're like oh heronic and then barry's like a 200 foot empty net goal or you look and you're like he had three assists really yeah anyways yeah if you give the puck to dylan larkin and just say go you'll get a lot of <laughs> points too um dimitri uh filipovich made a um highlight reel of Ronick's full length of the ice empty net goals and he <laughs> messaged me and was like this is the most ridiculous hi- highlight reel I've ever put together I was like, <laughs> hell yeah that's Red Wings hockey baby you know how like uh, some people have those weird talents where it's like watch this I can uh, pop my wrist out and put it back in or you know just weird things that don't really matter and aren't impressive but they're like the only ones who can do it that's Philip Ronick and Phil- full ice sends Everybody can do it, but he's the only one who does it with 100% accuracy. <laughs> well, I think that's what – genuinely, like, we're kidding, but it is really impressive. The fact that he's able to hit the middle of the, the net that often – well, I mean, you know, that accurately, I should say. Like, when he shot it today, before I even saw the trajectory, I'm like, that's in. He took that shot, that's in. You cannot – as they always say in sports, you cannot leave Philip Heronic clear – with a clear and open shot 200 feet away from your own net. Come on you, now. You had to wait till he actually shot the puck to know that was going in. Right. <laughs> you catch up. We know how this was going. We saw the puck go in his general direction in that corner and we knew how it was going to end. <laughs> oh, man. The Winged Wheel Podcast. Welcome. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Um, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be talking about the Red Wings uh, two-game series against the Columbus Blue Jackets, which was pleasantly uh, surprising. Uh, an update from Warrant Cider overseas, and then we have an exciting interview uh, with Reese Jessup, uh, NHL scout with the Florida Panthers from 2016 to 2020. Um, really, really great conversation with Reese that we're excited for you guys to hear. And on the same note of uh, the draft... 
happy or not to hear it today we are going to be kicking off our nhl draft prospect profiles so the 2021 nhl draft class will start to be covered these are the early profiles so the players you're going to be hearing from us uh hearing about from us are going to be brought up again down the line but it's high time we uh start to dive into that uh but before we start a couple quick housekeeping items um we mentioned to you guys last episode so in case you missed it um we are excited that we've uh to announce that we've uh, partnered with the jamie daniels foundation uh which is an initiative that we really really believe in and we're excited to kind of work with them to further that cause um the more we talk about substance use disorder the faster we can end the stigma and get uh, and get support to those in need the jamie daniels foundation a children's foundation initiative was established in memory of jamie daniels and founded by jamie's father and red wings lead announcer as you'll know, Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. The foundation strives to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Okay, up on uh, the YouTube channel, uh, there is another uh, Brad Opens Hockey Cards video, which is a fun little series. Uh, These Brad actually pre-recorded from December. We just kind of got around to posting them now. And uh, we want to announce a couple winners from some of the older videos. So what uh, Brad is doing in the series is we have uh, some hockey cards or some box sets from our friends at Upper Deck Hockey, who were kind enough to sponsor these segments. And what we are doing is showing off the cards inside. And instead of Brad keeping them, we are giving them to you. So we are giving away the contents of each box, as well as uh, some cooler individual cards that are happening. Uh, Those are Patreon-exclusive giveaways. Uh, But we have two boxes outstanding, so we want to announce the winners, which are Greg Purple and David Withers. So congratulations to you guys. You are, uh, they actually both happen to be uh, Patreon entries. So for all these competitions that happen Twitter-wide, patrons automatically get entered into those as well. So they are receiving full upper deck hockey uh, boxes of cards there's another one up right now check it out on youtube and that one will be given away sometime sometime soon all right eventually the red, eventually it's a mystery it adds to the excitement and it's definitely planned as to when we do it <laughs> <laughs> the red wings okay two games over the weekend and boy was it a nice turnaround from the three three games previous this is the first two-game stretch the Red Wings have had this season where we're talking about the other team's coach getting fired. The games went that well. <laughs> I can't. Someone tweeted that out, I think. Like, Torts should definitely be fired after getting manhandled by Detroit two straight games. And it's like, it, it looked rough. Point. Yeah. It's one thing to lose to the Red Wings twice because, like, weird games happen. Like, that 6-4 win against Tampa Bay. Like, it looks good on a stat sheet, but Detroit was badly outplayed for the second half of that game. So it was Tampa still dominated in shots. You're like, yeah, this is fun. We're going to enjoy it. But was Detroit really the better team tonight or did Tampa's goalie really just suck? Uh, These two games, Detroit was the better team in both games comfortably from beginning to end. And that I'm not fully sure has happened in a game this year let alone back-to-back games it was a true joy to watch and honestly i don't think it'll happen much often uh, much more often this season so let's just really dive in and really enjoy these games for what they were which was actual red wings 
dominance. Yeah, Columbus is a bad team. And it's moments like these, like when you see what's happening in Buffalo or you play Columbus and you're like, oh, yeah, like it's always easy to think that Detroit's always the worst when they're bad. But really, Detroit's not the worst team in the league right now. Where they finish in the standings is it remains to be seen. But there's definitely teams either playing worse or who are absolutely worse. Columbus is in there like they're not. They just finished off a pretty good run that got them into a tie with Chicago for the last playoff spot in the Central. So I understand Chicago's also been cold. It's not a great division, but Columbus isn't good, and and I'm not disagreeing. I don't know if they're as low as you're making them out to be, but they're definitely not good. But they are in the middle of a critical playoff race. Like, these four points they lost to Detroit this weekend were huge huge for them we can joke about memes and say haha red wings go burr but um <laughs> it, it mattered to columbus if the roles were flip like reversed here and we were a blue jackets podcast we're flipping tables we're calling for everybody's heads like this was the absolute pinnacle of unacceptable for the blue jackets this season so it's it's fun to be on the other end of that for once <laughs> Yeah, I guess a more fair statement to say is they played like a really bad team. Oh, they are yeah. much, they're playing like much less than the sum of their actual parts right now. Oh, yeah. And a lot of their top players were invisible for these two games, which some credit does go to the Red Wings for shutting Atkinson and Bjorkstrand and Line A down. But when you're as good as those three, you, you should be able to push through the Red Wings and still make something happen. So let's talk about a couple key highlights. Um, first of all, the Evgeny Svechnikov goal from today, I thought, was an excellent demonstration of why, even if you're not someone who's super, or like, even if you're not super high on Evgeny Svechnikov, the fact that you have a guy who's able to make a basic offensive read like he did, you know, four, three, four players all moving in the same direction, cut to the middle of the ice to improve your shot angle, and then use a defender to screen his own goalie and pick that corner. Is that earth shattering? No. Can a lot of players do that? Yes. Can a lot of Red Wings players do that? God, no. How many more Darren Helm breakaway goals do we have to see? Or, or breakaway non-goals do we have to see, should I say? Um, he should stay in the lineup and he should be playing more minutes. No, I'm not advocating for 20, 25 minutes a night of Evgeny Sveshnikov, but I think like 12, 14 minutes a game, is definitely fair considering if you can add that to your second or your third line, that takes the load off the first line and it spreads the scoring or at least the offensive opportunities down your lineup. It was nice to see from Svechnikov. No, it's not worth you know hanging a banner over, but I think it was just another testament to this very tired saga of give this guy some more ice time or you know put him in the lineup. He deserves it. Uh, he played, I think, 14 and a half minutes today which was probably close to his season high yeah um earned every minute of it and you know was it the greatest goal for the blue jackets goalie to let in no but as what ryan said he did everything right on that play he was solo on that rush he took the space that jackets gave him and as a left-handed shot your number one way to pick on a goalie is high hard blocker side those are hard to stop from anywhere just because of you know physics and anatomy uh, of a human being so yeah um and he did all those things and he did them perfectly he his skating stride looks better um you know again he's not going to be the player that makes or break this 
breaks this franchise, but if you can improve slightly at every position on the ice, your team gets a lot better, which is kind of was the mantra of the Red Wings this past offseason. Hey, slight improvements, and then we'll keep doing that. But there is something to be said for production. He's got five points in eight games. He's outscoring Darren Helm, who's played in almost every single game this year. It, that stuff like that does matter in a season. Should if Evgeny Svechnikov ran that play today against every team in the NHL, the exact same way it shook down, he he scores on it maybe four or five. But it goes in four or five times. That's a high shooting percentage because it's a decent play. And this team's biggest weakness is offense. Um, so finding guys who can just make the simple offensive plays is important. And it it sounds dumb to say something so simple and go, yeah, this is a big area of improvement for the team. And it's important we get players who do it. He is doing it. And even some of the better forwards on the Red Wings aren't all that great at it. Um, Bobby Ryan often gets caught trying to make the fancy play instead of the efficient play. You know, Adam Ernie's had a great season by his standards, but he's not, he doesn't make that play. He, he gets more garbage goals, but at least he does it. You know, Glenn Denning and Helm aren't doing that. <laughs> They'll never do that. Rasmussen's not going to do that probably ever. It's common sense isn't so common in society and, and good hockey plays aren't so common even in the NHL. So I don't know what else Svechnikov needs to do to cement his spot in this roster. If we told everybody before the season, hey, Evgeny Svechnikov is going to play half the season and he's going to have five points, we'd be like, that's not great, but that's about on par with whoever the hell he's going to replace. And then we said, just kidding, he's going to do it in eight games, we'd be doing backflips. So... The guy's done everything asked of him and then some. There's not exactly players banging down the door to take his spot. Let's not forget, someone tweeted this at me and I legitimately almost forgot Phil Blin, Nielsen, and Brome haven't played a game in like three months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I legitimately forgot that. Um, but yeah, so it's good to see, and I'm done with excuses for him not being in the lineup. I mean, I was done with him two months ago, just even more so now. Um, another point here, Calvin Pickard, two games, uh, let in two goals total, and looked good, looked solid. Um, we've joked about like Thomas Grice, like, oh, what the hell, they, he gets goal support, and you know, it's funny because the Red Wings did come out flying, especially in the first game of the series. Um, I felt like they played much better. They played way better hockey in front of Picker than they have in front of Grice recently. But he also only got five goals total between the two games of support. So two and a half goals a game of goal support. It's not really a lot by NHL standards. Um, so, you know, good on Pickard. To his first win since... Shoot, was it 2019 or 2018? Late 2018 with the Flyers and his first win with the Red Wings. Nice little moment. Evan's shaking his head. That is pathetic. (laughs) Uh, He's a journeyman goalie. He he spent a lot of time in the AHL for the Red Wings. He didn't really get a lot of... of, uh, Or with the the Griffins, I should say. He didn't get a lot of time. 2021. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he didn't... Okay. All right, Evan. I'm glad he got those wins, but... uh... Yeah, not not great. He's a third string goalie. He's an AHL guy. 
Who's called up because uh, Bernie is injured? Look better than Grice. Grice is, is true. Grice is statistically the worst goalie in the NHL this year. So the bar to clear is very low, and at least Pickard cleared it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's um, all we could ask of him. Go in there and don't blow the game because that hasn't always happened with our backup in net. A lot of people have asked what happens when Bernie comes back. The answer to that is Pickard goes down back to the taxi squad slash to the Griffins. They are not going to keep him up over Grice. Grice has a three-year contract. They're going to work with two-year contract. They're going to work with Grice for the, the – this team isn't so good or fighting for a playoff spot where you have to fine-tune what your second goalie is. It's just not what Eisman's going to do. I Although, I, I agree with you, and I don't think anything super weird is going to happen, but <sighs> – it is very notable that the Red Wings played on back-to-back days this weekend and Pickard got both. Typically in a back-to-back scenario, teams will almost always rotate goalies. They'll go with the start of the first game, back up the second game, circle of life. Doesn't matter if you have Vasilevsky and McElhinney or Bernier and Grice. Back-to-backs get split way more often than they don't. I don't remember a time where the number one or two goalie was healthy and a number three goalie played on a back-to-back. And I'm not talking about the Red Wings. I'm talking about period in the NHL. It doesn't happen. Now, obviously, Pickard goes in there and lets in one goal after Grace had an absolute meltdown Thursday night against Nashville, which we're, we haven't talked about on this pot, on this episode, and we won't for our sanity. Um but <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's for the best. But it is notable. A third string goalie playing on back to back days means this coaching staff went into these games eyes wide open. They they're not blaming uh, the Thursday entirely on the players. They're saying, Grice, yeah, you have responsibility for how you've played. And Pickard goes into the first game, plays well, although not super tested, but plays well. Cool. We're giving him the crease again tomorrow. And who knows? They might ride him until he slips up, which honestly is how goalies should be treated most of the time, unless he he needs a rest and there is another back-to-back coming up. I mean, it, it's not nothing to to point that out. And yeah. Yeah. Is it going to lead to Grace getting put on the taxi squad? No, probably not. But it's still worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, okay. Maybe I was a bit too aggressive in saying definitely not that nothing is going to happen. Like, that was all a very eloquent way of saying Grice has sucked. Yeah. And the team knows it. There's a lot of commentary, and we'll move on here in a second, but there's a lot of commentary a lot of the times about um, how players pl- or how teams play in front of goalies. And I think people need to give a lot more credit to how a team plays based on their confidence, knowing that their goalie is going to save the puck. Gives them a lot of freedom to play their game, take some risks, you know, put the puck in different parts of the ice, that kind of thing. That's probably a a conversation for a different day. Um, Some other quick notes about these couple of games against Columbus. Um, The Red Wings' top four offensive players, so that's Larkin, uh, Zadina, Mantha, Fabry, really, right now, um, at different points or throughout both games looked great. That Larkin uh, Fabry Zadina line looks awesome, especially in the first game. Came out buzzing, ton of chances, a little bit better of a scoring touch or a little bit more luck with the post, and they would have scored a lot more than they did too. Yeah, they were moving the puck quickly and efficiently, which even in the Red Wings' good games this year, we hadn't seen a ton of. They were turning, creating turnovers, and when they turned the, when they got it, they would 
move it around in a hurry. They wouldn't let Columbus reset. And they got a couple posts directly off those type of plays. They've got uh, a goal directly off, two goals off directly off those type of plays. And I mean, it was just so refreshing to see uh, players going to the right spot, the puck then following the player to the right spot. Even the simple stuff. Um, with Bobby Ryan's injury today, the lines kind of got jumbled and there were a bunch of different combinations like Robbie Fabry having a good rush, ripping one, just missing the net, but it pops back in front and who's Johnny on the spot, but Michael Rasmussen to, to tuck it in for the game winning goal today. It was just even, even the hash quote unquote spare parts were contributing, you know, Svechnikov gets a goal, Rasmussen gets a goal in key spots of the game. And when you have the big boys carrying the rest of it, beautiful. That's that's how good teams should operate. And that's what the Red Wings did for two games. And Mantha has looked like Mantha lately. He he got on the score sheet both games, not anything like any four or five point games, but man, he was creating a lot out there and he was moving out there. So whatever seemed to be ailing him towards the beginning of the season seems to have worn off. Cause he he's reminding me about who he is. Um, so the Red Wings have Florida up on Tuesday on that note, Aaron Eckblad just before we started recording had a really ugly knee injury. He was in a lot of pain, like screaming on the ice. Keith, the looked like he was going to cry. Um, had to be Eckblad had to be stretched off so that sucks he was having an incredible season too yeah he was a uh, chance he was going to be a Norris candidate anyways so that's who Detroit has on Tuesday before uh, next episode any other notes on the uh, two Red Wings games actually broad note here the Red Wings sucked for three games like sucked sucked like really bad stretches of hockey against uh, Dallas and then the two Nashville games for them to do whatever bag skate they did, have whatever team meetings they had, and come back and play like they did against Columbus these two games, that to me was a level of resilience that they haven't had at other points in this rebuild. And I think the team and the coaching staff deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, it's important, you know, we're not going to, the Red Wings aren't going to win every game, but it's important for them to be able to bounce back and do that kind of thing uh, through a long, tough rebuild. Yeah, like those three games leading, accumulating in the national game was probably their worst three game stretch of the season. Just abysmal. And then followed up with their best two game stretch of the season. So I am confused. Well, uh, it's the little things that'll add up down the road, you know, hashtag intangibles, winning culture, that kind of thing. Um, news from the SHL, the, uh, Moritz Siders, uh, Rogla team has ended their regular season. He came up one point shy of, I believe having the highest points per game total of any, uh, under 20 defenseman in the SHL. Um, the mark that he was trying to beat for points per game was 0.69 and he finished with 0.68. So, uh, not second nice. most, not nice. Not nice uh, for like a minimum of 10 games played. I think Max's tweet said um, that was a, a still a great indicator for the kind of season that Moritz Sider is having. Um, for those who are wondering, he won't be joining the Red Wings uh, right now. And I would probably guess that he won't be before the end of the season, just because of the nature of the Swedish hockey league's um, playoffs. Rogla is a super strong team. 
So they're expected to go pretty far. Uh, and additionally, their quarterfinals or, or their uh, playoffs aren't going to start for a couple weeks. They had to have some schedules reshuffled to fit in some canceled games or rescheduled games uh, for other teams at the end of the season. And then there's, uh, you know, playing games to finish the seeding before the playoffs. So Detroit has about a month, a month and a bit of hockey left here. I don't think more outsiders going to make it finish up in time to come back and then quarantine and then play for the Red Wings. I, I'd, I'd be pretty surprised. It would have to be a really early exit from Rogla. And yeah, so um, more likely that you're looking forward to a more outsider at camp for next season kind of thing. Yeah, but do you know what Swedish team sucks? Malmo. Yeah. And Joe scored a dirty, dirty goal today. So maybe he gets uh, a cup of tea before the end of the season. <laughs> That stick lift to catch the pass was like, oh, that was nice. And then the backhand, forehand, goalie sliding out the other side of the net. Oh, oh, put that on loop. Put that on my on my desk at work and never turn it off. Okay. Um, I think it is high time that we jump over to our interview. Uh, we spoke just the other day with Reese Jessup. Uh, that's offside on Twitter. Uh, Reese was an NHL scout, and we talked to him about all things uh, NHL draft for this upcoming season, his thoughts on the Red Wings and what they need, his uh, views on scouting in general, and whatever else came up. So uh, really fun conversation. We hope you guys enjoy uh, our interview with Reese Jessup. Well, we know it's going to be a good interview when uh, we're about 10 to 15 minutes past our start time and we've used the entire <laughs> the entire beginning uh, of when we were supposed to be recording you know asking someone questions just shooting the breeze about hockey and catching up uh, with someone that we just met so uh, everyone the winged wheel podcast is proud to bring you this interview with reese jessup uh, reese was a scout with the florida panthers from 2016 through 2020 you most likely follow reese on twitter that's underscore offside uh, reese welcome and thank you so much for joining us today uh, thank you guys for having me on. I'm really excited to be here and uh, just just excited to talk some Red Wings hockey. Those uh, those exciting shoot the lights out Detroit Red Wings, you know, listen, can't wait. Listen, let I bring the sarcastic undertones to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh reese i know a lot of your work has to do uh with the um the western leagues the whl ajhl and bchl so we'll get to that um eventually uh although i do appreciate your enthusiasm to to talk about those run and gun red wings let's not talk about the uh the five on five low event or anything like that um the simple and most prevalent question out of the way here what's it like what difficulties are scouts facing this season uh, amidst the pandemic for the past year, how has that profession changed in the NHL? Oh man, um, where do you where do you want me to start? Uh, the long and short of it is the industry's been turned on its head, more or less. Uh, you've just had return to play uh, stuff okayed in out, out west here. You've seen um, the 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 eastern and central divisions get going with with hub cities in the WHL. There's one in Regina, and I believe there's uh they're they're also doing stuff in Red Deer as well uh the bc division in the whl hasn't returned yet uh u.s division just returned as well their opening weekend was just or the opening weekend i believe was this past weekend um so the ohl hasn't returned at all qmjhl was back delayed swedish junior came back delayed so all the kids were playing up so 
the 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 big prevalent one in terms of the, the the difficulties that scouts are facing is that the kids just are not playing. So, and of course that spreads down to junior A too, because even though the uh, major junior's been re- uh, okayed to, for the return to play in um, a lot of jurisdictions here, same can't be said for junior A. So, for example, BCHL nothing, AJHL nothing. Uh, I believe the uh, the the SJ may have just had their season canceled. So, and and of course that's leading to a lot of downstream effects like there's some there's a story kind of percolating now that the bchl as well as four teams from the ajhl uh have sent a letter to the 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 governing body of canadian junior a hockey saying that they're leaving the that organization to in order to pursue things on on their own or something so there's a lot of weird turmoil in terms of league politics um as well as will the teams play that's that's at play that is obstructing doing the job even before you have the opportunity to do the job and now once you get after that then there's the the problems with of course getting in the arenas uh certain places that have okayed scouts in the arenas and limited capacities other places like you can't do that i am in vancouver british columbia i wouldn't be able to get down across the borders of the united states to see any of those teams in the u.s division live this year at all because the borders closed so you're dealing with those logistics as well um which again, which then necessitates uh, different scouting. You can't if you can't be in the rinks to see these kids. The nature of how you view games has to change now too. So you're doing a lot more video scouting. There's a lot more tape. There's a lot less uh, in-person stuff. There's a lot less. So your your ability to even interface with stuff like coaches, managers, agents, all the uh, trainers, all those people when you're in the rinks. Well, all of a sudden, all that stuff's re- uh, removed as well. And then um, you 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 go all the way up the chain to the NHL, um, and one of the things that is affecting this industry uh, right now is that there's pr- I from what I understand is that there's a lot of jobs scouting jobs that are vacant and not being filled right now just because the NHL doesn't have revenue, and since they don't have revenue, that means hirings are frozen too. So it's a really kind of multi-layered complex weird ecosystem that's that's been developed right now because of this covid thing and it's and i i think some people have a better handle on it than than others i think the people that are used to working with fewer travel resources and the people that are used to doing more tape uh, and more more video analysis are, are are adjusting to it better but i think that's a pretty major transition that's happening right now uh at the highest levels in terms of just go moving from how it has been done to this this new normal and how we how that is is continued to be done going forward through the season here is is going to be uh pretty interesting it's 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 a it's a number of challenges for sure well to take one specific example here obviously with you out west this will be a good one for you when you look at the top prospects in the upcoming draft uh, the luke hughes the william eklund the owen power so on and so forth they've played pretty close to a full season. So there's not going to be a lot of variance in scouting them um, versus previous drafts. But one guy who's creeping up the draft boards is uh, Dylan Gunther. Gunther? Gunther? I always get it mixed up. But uh, Gunther. Uh, Gunther. Um, for the Edmonton Oil Kings, who was playing in a lower level league um, while the WHL was on hiatus and doing well there. And since the WHL's restarted, he's lighting the world on fire. I think last I checked, he was leading the league in scoring to this point with only a handful of teams playing. So if he 
continues this pace through the season, but it's a very shortened season. And I'm assuming this is going to happen to several other prospects in the OHL, the WHL, et cetera. How much weight do you put on his quote unquote heater over a smaller sample size versus a guy like hypothetically Matt Beneers or Kent Johnson, who have been doing it all season? Um, That's a, that's an interesting question because that kind of, gets it at some of the the core things that you have to be able to cut through when you are scouting is that you really have to be careful that not just in the shortened season but anytime you're going to look at a guy that what you are seeing is representative of of the whole so while genther is on like on this heater you have to be going in and saying okay is is he are pucks just going in for him? What would it look like if he didn't get this bounce? What would it look like if he didn't get this bounce? How is he playing in terms of holistic offensive generation? Like what are his let's really break it down into the component parts and make sure that what we see on that in that box where at the end of the day is representative of the player. And if it's not representative of the player, how much of it is representative of the player? A guy like Genther, uh, he was a top pick in the WHL Bandom draft though, so he's a pedigree kid going back a couple of years. Uh, I saw him when he AP'd it with uh with the old Kings at fifteen. I saw him last year when he was 16. So it's not just he has this shortened season. You have a couple of years of data going back on him uh, and being able to compare him to the rest of his peers in this draft class. So it's not as much of a, a, a small little thing as um as as it it really is it as it might seem. And also the with the number of games that the WHL is probably be going to play this year, it's also not so much different than the standard NCAA season, for example. So you mentioned a guy like uh, guys like Beniers or Power or Kent Johnson in, in the big three in Michigan. There, they've they're only playing like thirty something games, forty something with 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 tournaments and stuff because that's just how many games NCAA teams play. That's one of the major selling points that uh, CHL teams. Uh, use on these kids when they come through. Oh, we prepare your kid better for pro because we play a pro schedule rather than the NCAA teams that only play like half season and, and stuff like that. So with a guy like Johnson, it's just or not Johnson, sorry, Dylan Genther for me, it's know what you're looking for, know what know what you're doing. And you saw this a little bit with I'll bring up the example of Seth Jarvis last year. Jarvis was a guy that was rated kind of in like the mid rounds until he had this massive heater at the end of the season. Now, for me, I always had Jarvis in my first round basically wire to wire because if you went into Portland and you saw him playing, that was a guy that was generating numerous scoring chances every game. Like he was the number one scoring chance generator in, in terms of his offensive, uh, his his shooting, his playmaking, his ability to to to, to create, his problem solving was there. Like just a, a, a one of the true dual threat offensive players in 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 the league, and he was doing that at a high level the whole way through the season. It was only in the back half of the season when he started getting on this heater that he really started rocketing up the draft boards. But it's really a matter of like going in and breaking down, and going okay, this. Like this, this makes sense based on what I saw here. So you have to be able to divorce yourself from what's happening on the ice and 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 the output. And if you can do that, and if you can really take a good look at at really what that player is doing, it shouldn't have as much as of an effect on your final opinions of that player. Uh, especially since in a good year, even in a full year, you're seeing these guys maybe at most 15 times with the amount of, of, of volume that you of players that you have to cover. So you and you can do go back and do that this year as well with just like repeat repeat viewings on tape and video too. 
Now, early in your answer there, you actually brought up a very fascinating point that depending who I've talked to, I always get very different answers. So given that you've done this at the NHL level, you're probably the perfect person to ask this. So when it comes to finding prospects, generally everybody's, you know, top 30, 40, 50, 60 are going to be reasonably similar with jumbled orders. But when you get later in the draft, it's kind of, you know, where do you find those? I know brain points a bad example, but let's just use brain point because <laughs> everybody should have caught on. But some people will break down the analytics like you were talking about the stat sheet and going, okay, there. And then they'll watch the game and go, doesn't add up, pass. Other people will be at a game watching a player. Another guy catches their eye. Let's go dive into the analytics and see if that matches up. So it's kind of the what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Where do you generally fall when you're trying to find players? Um, this is going to sound like a boring and non-committal answer, but I don't think that there is one that comes first. I think you have to do kind of a holistic approach and do both at the same time and really understand the nature of the information you're deriving from each from each input. So for Braden Point, for example, I rem- I was doing mainly analysis back then. I had Braden Point uh, knocking at the I think a fifteenth overall, like worldwide in his in his draft year, uh, and he ended up going in the third round because like his just his statistical outputs were so overwhelming. Like he was something like thirty points clear of sec- the second highest scorer on his team with an elite scoring rate. Like those are the ones that are just absolute no brainers. Like you just like yep, thank you very much. That's that's easy. That's a, that's a tap-in. Uh, the first player that I had really good input in drafting uh, for Florida was Johnny Ludwig, third overall in um or not third third round pick, 69th overall uh, in in 2019, and he was a re-entry defenseman that had pretty bad scoring numbers. So from everything that I'd done up to that point, everything that, that Cam Lawrence and Josh Weisbach had done, the, the people that I had, I had worked with w- before I got to Florida, the people that were doing stuff for Florida, Johnny Ludwig was not a player that profiled well statistically. But it's one of these things you go in and you watch you watch his game and you have – and for me, my understanding is still grounded in a lot of statistical frameworks and takeaways that – Okay, he has to be doing these things to a certain to a certain level, and that'll have that'll have this, this output. I think a good way to think about it is actually if you guys are familiar with Michael McCurdy's work at HockeyViz.com and his heat maps. Red means lots, blue yeah. means not a lot. Yeah. I I like a little sh- mental shortcut in in that is are the things that I see this player doing on the ice leading to a lot of red in the offensive zone and a lot of blue in the defensive zone. So things like how's the transition game? Do the transition pucks effectively? How's their, how is their uh, problem-solving ability when the pucks in the defensive zone? Are they throwing pucks into high-danger areas or are they able to work it to, to low-pressure situations? How are their puck skills? How is their how is their skating ability? Are their edges good? Are they able to orchestrate uh, escapes with their feet? Are they able to orchestrate escapes with, with passing or, 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 or deeks and, and, and things like that? Do they effectively front threats in the defensive zone? Do they identify them and shut de- them down before they become a threat? Or are they late to the play chasing and having to scramble and, and make up for that so it's it, it's one of these things where you i think you have to do a really good job you have to have a little bit of an understanding of both and you're you're constantly working through both what the what the numbers tell you and what you're what you're looking for what your eyes are telling you at the same time and if you're able to do that i think you're able to have a very kind of informed viewpoint as you go in and as you watch these kids as you 
spend the time in the rinks watching the game. And then when you are able to, to pull up some, some, some lists and some numbers and crunch some numbers afterwards, you can go, okay, this is, this is what the numbers are telling me. This is what they say. This is where I think the, the blinds or the, the, the deficiencies are in, in this. And this is why I can disagree with them and make a compelling argument. Why I don't think these are, these are fully representative of, of the player in question. And once you're able to do that, I think then your projections get good, your rankings get good, and you can you can really work from there. So we we did touch on this a little bit. Um, we've kind of gone around to the 2021 draft class. So just you know, broad strokes here, understanding that we're still a ways away. Uh, the Red Wings, who you you know very obviously are, are <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge detroit red wings fan as you can <laughs> see from my all my jerseys there all the detroit red wing jerseys in the in, in the back uh there, there is a team sweden jersey there so we're counting it yeah yep. that does count jeez oh, red God. wings are going to be drafting in and around you know one to five depending on the way the uh, hockey gods look down upon them with your your understanding of the Red Wings and, and their needs, as well as this draft class, who would you say would be a primary couple of players to target? Well, uh, unfortunately, and this isn't what Red Wings fans probably want to hear, uh, but my understanding of this draft class is it's a very bad year to be a very bad team. And by that, I mean there isn't a lot of top-end talent at this draft. I've heard some people say that number one overall would probably go behind Anton Lundell last year. Um, I'd, 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 I've heard other people say, oh, that's that's a load of crap. Um, I'm not sure where I uh, fit on that on that on that spectrum because a lot of because there's a good number of players in this top ten that I've I haven't had the opportunity to see in uh in in person or, or in video in detail uh extensively this year but if if you're a team picking in the top 10 this year i think you kind of have to make peace with the fact that you're not getting that cornerstone piece you're not it's not like the next couple of years like the in 2022 you have guys like uh brad lambert and shane wright at the top of the draft who who are projecting to be like top of the lineup first line forwards with potential star potential uh, potential star potential. Uh, year after that, uh, you have you have Connor Bedard, who I've seen just absolutely light up the WHL as a as a 2005 born player in his first few games here, to a level that I haven't seen a player do out west at his age ever. And you have Matvey Mitchkov, who is setting Russian junior records in in scoring, blowing away or not blowing away, but like beating out guys like Nikita Kucherov as a much comparatively younger player. So the next two years are really where you want to be in terms of being at the top of the draft, but there's still quality players uh, available uh, this year. Matthew Beniers, uh, for example, is a guy that I have a lot of time for. I, I look at Detroit system and what they need, kind of need there, and the Ray, Lucas Raymond probably projects as, as a winger to me, uh, even though he's he's a elite problem solver and, and great with great skill. He could probably play center. Uh, they they have a, a, a really strong defenseman, Moritz Sider, uh, and I like a lot of their complementary pieces. Like I like even though Master Simone has has had a tough um, adjustment to college, I really like his game when I when I saw him. Uh, Jonathan Berggren, um, Theodor Niederbach, like they have some they have some quality pieces, but they don't really have that that frontline guy. And I think a guy like Matty Beniers, uh, who played at Michigan, could be a really really just solid play driving center. Um, that who's 
who 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 has that high level of detail that you need to play kind of in like that high-end second line that 1b center role kind of like what a dylan larkin is now um and i i think a guy like that would be uh would be attractive to the top end at the top end of the draft and the other name i want to bring up is uh the swedish goaltender jesper wallstedt uh, I don't usually like uh, drafting goaltenders at the top of the of the first round because I think you're leaving just so much value on the table. Uh, but everything I hear about Wallstead is that he is he he's the real deal. And if if you are confident that you are getting a solid number one goalie based on the value that is there uh, this this draft, which I isn't that enormous top end this would be probably the year to draft a goalie that high i'm so happy that you brought up wallstead that's uh because <laughs> the question was going to be you know if you're not really confident and say you, you're veneers is the only guy you really believe in on the ice to go for wallstead so i uh, appreciate you venturing out there yeah uh for it, us it's 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 not something that I would uh, advise as a as a as a normal strategy in a in a normal year, but like this this year, it's not a normal year. It wasn't going to be a normal year, even without all the uh, all all the uncertainty thrown into it with uh, with the the pandemic and everything. But there's certainly an opportunity there for a, an unconventional move at the top, paying dividends, especially with uh, with with this uh, group of players. Speaking of uncertainty, um, you know, aside from the fact that the top end of this draft isn't quite like, you know, last year's, um, as a general rule, if you were a GM and you are a rebuilding GM, say, I don't know, off the top of my head, Steve Eisman, uh, <laughs> what it, would you it, rather? Huh, interesting, interesting <laughs> one to, to pull there. I wonder why you mentioned him. Yeah, we, we remain objective here. Um, the top of the, the draft aside for the rest of your picks, what would you rather have? More picks this year where you know there's a lot more chaos and you could may- maybe strike gold where a player should not have dropped that far because of these scouting irregularities? Or do you want to punt on this year in general and just move as much of your assets to 2022? I'm generally not a fan of uh, going all in on a, on a draft class unless you're talking about the top 5 to 10 guys. Because the way I see it is that it's very hard to 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 predict how kind of once you get past mid first round how the rest of the draft is going to look. So I if there's people that you and it also depends on what you as a staff think. Like this is where you have to trust your scouts to be able to 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 go in and say like no we do not believe in any of these guys here. Like for example, excuse me for example last year with. Um, with a lot of the WHL guys, I was I was looking at my list and I was going like, "There's just there's just not guys I believe in here." Like, there's maybe eight to ten guys in the whole league, and the rest like I just I just don't see it. So you have so if you can trust your scouts to say no, uh, for for example, then 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 you trust them. You you go with what they say. That if they're saying like, "I don't think that we that we will be able." to find anyone past like pick 100 for example then what what's what's the point in, in having picks if, if your scouts are, are just going no 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 but by that same token i'm always a proponent of like bulk drafting of, of trading back the more times you or the more chances you give yourself to step up to the plate and take a swing the more likely you are to to, to hit your batting average can be 
garbage. But if you're still hitting on three guys a year, that you then then you're doing your job. The per, the whole purpose of the draft is to inject talent into into your organization and and access talent into your organization. You're hoping to draft guys in like the fourth fifth round who you can then turn around and go like, oh, this guy's like a third round value now, and and just like start building value that way. So if you dra- have like 13 picks and you only hit on three or four of them, that's fine. That's better than having like seven picks and hitting on like one because you're, you're, you're still getting that, that, that value down, down. So for me, I, I would like exploring trade back scenarios. I like exploring trading, uh, trading guys on expiring deals for draft picks and packaging draft picks up to trade up to, if you really believe in a guy, like I, I'm a, I'm a firm proponent of you have to, you have to be flexible and very liquid in the, uh, in, in, in the draft from, from year to year. And you really have to be able to trust what your scouts are telling you. So to, to kind of go back to answer your question, it, it really does depend on what your scouts think. Uh, and, and if you, if, if you really trust them to make those calls or not. I have a, a question for you. It's kind of uh, maybe a chance for you to, to, you know, sort of stroke your ego a little bit. <laughs> um, have you had like a an I told you so moment as a scout where you're, you were banging on the table saying, we need to take this guy. And everyone was like, I don't get it. And then that guy just went and popped off in whatever league he ended up playing in for the team he was drafted by. Um. Or is it more of like a collective think tank, like within the rooms? Um, the the way that I think that people traditionally think about these things happening is that everyone comes and does their own thing. They come with a list, and at the end, I believe in this guy. This is he's gonna play. I believe in him. I believe in him. Well, that's and what we for, say on the podcast. Yeah. So. And 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 for me, for me, that's the the wrong way to go about it. Is it's year long cooperative exercise and gathering information. So not only does the manager have to trust the scouts, the, all of your scouts have to trust each other to be looking at the same things and to be, to, to be able to, to break down information in, in such a way that everyone is bringing the highest quality information to the table because it's an organizational decision. It's never, it should never be a decision on one scout. It should always be something that the organization feels comfortable with based on the information that the scouts have brought to the table. So for example, for a guy like John Ludwig, uh, I wanted him in the seventh round in his in his draft year uh, before, but we we didn't have the we didn't get the support on that, so I put him on the back burner. And for the next year, uh, myself and the the uh, the the head Western scout in Florida, uh, we we went and we we worked on it. We we pursued it. We talked to his general manager. We talked to his dad, who was a scout for the Bruins. Talked to his talked to his coach. Talked to the trainers. All that stuff. Um, like we we did our homework. We had we built the the dossier and the thing. And and through the whole year, like we're we're going. Hey, like. Like we we went to our, our stats guys and said, hey, or I, I was telling them like this this guy's a one percent guy. I know he's a one percent guy, but I've seen like two hundred of these one percent guys in in like the last three years, and this is this is the one guy that I'm that I'm that I'm gonna be coming to you with. So and and then so we draft him, and then the next year he uh, he first first team Western Conference All Star, captain of the Winter Hawks, over a point a game, like sixty eight points in sixty two games or something like that. And he's he's playing in Syracuse right now. He's their highest scoring defenseman as a guy that's still junior eligible. But it wasn't something that you you come to the table and go, I believe in him. I like it's it's a long term process, 
and you're constantly in discussion with uh, with with people, getting them saying like, "Hey, this is what I believe. Can you come back? Can you check my work? Can you cross check that? Can you make sure that what I'm seeing is is representative?" Um, and 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 at the end of the day, you 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 come to a thing. So when you're having those final meetings, nothing should be coming as a surprise to anyone. Everyone's when you bring a guy's name up, it should be like the fifth or sixth time that that like at minimum the fifth or sixth time that everyone's heard of of, of this same guy. You're basically lawyers. You, you go away. <laughs> you're interviewing all the the witnesses. You know, you're you're looking up old police reports, and then uh, you're coming into court with all the information available. Uh, I mean, I mean, sure, if, if that's the analogy that works. <laughs> that, that's all I got from that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, before we we wrap up, let you go. I'll get to one kind of Red Wings philosophical question to get specific. So, oh, philosophical questions. I love these. These are my favorite. Yeah, because right now the the general we'll call it consensus among every scout we talk to, every fan that yells at us on Twitter is. The Red Wings have arguably the deepest farm system in the NHL, but they don't have that guy that, you know, Jack Eichel, Conor McDavid, not necessarily that level, but that that franchise cornerstone. Lucas Raymond should probably play on their first line. Mo Sider should probably play on their top pair, but I don't think anybody is sitting here going... Lucas Raymond's a surefire Art Ross candidate. Most Sider's a surefire Norris candidate. This is, they're missing the biggest piece of their rebuild. Do you think it's possible if the draft lottery keeps, keeps kicking the Red Wings in the teeth and they keep, keep picking third, fourth, fifth, sixth to become not just a playoff contender? I think that's possible, but a legitimate cup contender if you don't find quote unquote the guy. Um, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that cup contenders usually have a the guy, but no, in the sense that he doesn't have to be from that very those top three picks. Like you, like you saw the Boston Bruins when they won the Stanley Cup. They did it on the backs of like an undrafted goaltender playing out of his absolute mind, uh, Zidane Chara, who was later on pick, and like Patrice Bergeron, who I believe was either late first or early second. So again superstars but there are more there are more avenues to find them than just like drafting in the top three overall uh the st louis blues uh did it with just a a deep deep team like ryan o'reilly again second round pick alex petrangelo was drafted high but he wasn't i wouldn't consider alex petrangelo like that superstar surefire hall of fame like he's a number one defenseman for sure He's a really good defenseman, but I don't think he, you you talk about Petrangelo on the same level that you talk about guys like an Austin Matthews or a Connor McDavid. Uh, let, let's let's say. So, if the Red Wings don't land like a Shane Wright or a Connor Bedard or a or or, or a Matt Vaymichkov in the in the years following this one, there is still a path to contention. It's just that that path relies on being extremely disciplined and extremely focused down your roster and making sure that you're just getting a little bit more value from everyone else like you're instead of having the best player in the world you're you're building a a line of like maybe the fifth best left winger the the seventh best right winger and like the ninth best centerman for for example i i shouldn't say ninth best centerman because that's that's still like a superstar center but like and then you duplicate that on your second line. And then like you have just a really, really good top four and, and great goaltending. Like 
there's there are ways to build a roster because it's a capped system that are a little different. What the cap generally encourages, or what what a superstar generally encourages, is the shape of a roster that is more top heavy than and and you're you're trying to to, to win in the margins with cheap depth, like what Toronto's doing this year. They have uh, Matthews making close about eleven. They have Marner making eleven. They have Tavares making like eleven, and they they're trying to really win in the margins down the roster with guys like veterans guys like Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton they're leveraging their their KHL uh pipeline to try and find like guys like Ilya Mikheyev uh they've tried with Barabanov and Letnin this year those those ones didn't work but again they're just churning through guys like that um the other way to go about it is if you have those top end players and they're not making $11 million, maybe they're making like seven is you can allocate that money down your roster. So you can then build strength down your roster on, 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 on guys and say, okay, we're hoping that if we go power on power, we'll play them to basically enough of a draw over a seven game series that, that, that they won't be able to overpower us with those top end guys, but we're going to kill them down the roster. Like we're we're gonna we're gonna count on Jonathan Bergeron running roughshod over Alex Kerfoot. Let's let's just say. So there there is a there's always a path to to contention and there's always a path to winning. And if the if the Red Wings, for example, were maybe four more years down the road into this, and the, a guy like Jack Eichel becomes available at that point, and they have enough capital and liquidity still that they're like we can jump all over that. Like we could, that's like, that's, that's, that's the opportunity right there. Uh, like Tyler Sagan became available for the Dallas stars. It happens. It doesn't happen often, but the, the big things are be reactive or be able to be reactive with, with enough currency and with, uh, in terms of draft picks, futures, prospects, all that stuff. Um, be aggressive and, be disciplined. Know know what you're doing in terms of building a a lineup down the roster, so you can not only have that really really strong base to build on that you feel confident with going forward, but if the opportunity avails itself where you can like you can land the big fish, that you can jump on that too. So I mean, not to put words in your mouth, Reese, but you're saying a Larkin Veneers Valeno center depth lineup could be a contending <laughs> team. I'm I'm happy we all landed in the same spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. The the Dylan Larkin one is interesting to me because you're because of just timelines, right? Like I think people uh, this is the a mistake that a lot of people make is that they they look at that and go, oh, our twenty four year old number one center is going to be still a number one center by the time that uh, we're ready to contend again. And let's say it's going to take till Lucas Raymond's twenty two, for example. So that's like four years. Larkin's twenty eight. So the amount of runway on him, and let's say, and that, that let's say that's the opening of the window. So you, the window wants to be five years. So it's 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. With what we know about age curves, is that a guy like Larkin? This is like he's the type of guy that you think about and go, okay. We're looking at about a ten-year timeline with him. On the back half of that timeline, how confident are we that he can still be that cornerstone piece that we need, that he's not going to get injured, that he's not going to get run down? So I saw something on online like Iserman was looking at trading basically everyone but Larkin, Raymond, and Sider. And so I look at guys like uh, Tyler Bertuzzi or Anthony Mantha, guys that are considered like younger or prime-aged. It's that with Detroit's timeline, guys like those are – 
that are at the peak of their value, it's probably, in my view anyways, it's probably a shrewd move to move on them now. Because if you're really serious about winning a Stanley Cup, if you're really hell-bent on getting everyone you can on the same timeline and not letting value atrophy or die on the line line in your organization then those are the the type of, of difficult discussions you have to be having as a franchise at this point like is dylan larkin going to be good enough to be a core piece for us when we're ready to compete because i think he is right now right now but the problem is is that the red wings are not competing right now they're competing four or five years from now ideally we are just as a fan base um getting around like we we are just really breaching the um maybe trading mantha is better than keeping him long term conversation so entering larkin into that realm uh despite your objective correctness here uh we're probably going to hold off on on yeah. that into the zeitgeist no no it, it's all a really good point and the age curve is something to consider as well um, and, and a guy like larkin is also young enough like he's just supposedly entering his prime age now and 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 he's such a he's such a core piece that like you you probably err on the side of not trading him unless something comes along that absolutely just knocks your socks off. It's like, this is a no brainer deal for us. We, we got to do it. Yeah. But I, my, my point isn't, you have to trade Dylan Larkin. My point is more those it's the conversations around players around his age right now that are the really difficult conversations that the organization should be having. If they are, if they're preparing to win a Stanley cup on, on a certain timeline. Well, what that means is that uh, we're going to have to have you back regularly to kind of evaluate <laughs> how that's going. Uh, everyone, this has been Reese Jessup, uh, former NHL scout uh, from 2016 to 2020 with the Florida Panthers. That's uh, that's underscore offside on Twitter. Please go follow him. Reese, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was a ton of fun. Looking forward to the next time already. And that was our interview with Reese Jessup. We hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, and yeah, I think it's high time that we start our own uh, draft coverage. But before that, I did want to talk about how this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, who we are thrilled to partner with. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook for a ton of reasons. It's easy to use from registration to deposits and finding great bets. Withdrawals are quick and easy. You get your money in as early or as soon as 24 hours. Uh, and now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Uh, we wish we can bet on games like Detroit's upcoming game against Florida. That's a great opportunity to possibly have a trap game against a super strong team that just lost its star defenseman. So that might be a way to uh, get that underdog money. Uh, what you should do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right, NHL Draft Prospect Profiles. 
it is high time we start these again. Uh, and like I mentioned at the top of the show here, uh, we're going to start off with some maybe bigger name players or players that are more recognizable to you um, early on. But these are guys we're going to revisit closer to the draft as well because they are uh, liable to go to the Red Wings wherever they draft. So these are the early draft profiles subject to change. And of course, this season, the amount that we know about any given player is wildly different because of, you know, canceled seasons and difference in games played and that kind of thing. So um, there's going to be a lot of wackiness this draft. So we're working with what we got and uh, the information is going to change a lot and often. To start off, one of the most popular prospects, uh, towering giant, left shooting defenseman, six foot six, roughly 215 pounds from Michigan, Owen Power. Brad, tell us about why or what Owen Power is as a player and how he would fit in on the Red Wings already behemoth blue line. So in a draft that's going to be filled with a ton of oddities, uh, going to be a bit of a wild draft. Nothing's for certain. Nothing's safe. Everything's crazy. Owen Power is probably going to be the safest pick, quote unquote, safest pick in the top five, top 10, maybe the entire draft. He's a six foot six defenseman who skates really well. He's good defensively, good hockey sense, can actually contribute offensively um, further along offensively at this point than most Sider was at this point in their thing. Now, keep in mind, Owen Power is a late birthday, hence why he's at Michigan already. So factor that in. His toolkit combined with his hockey IQ, Owen Power is going to play in the NHL. The question with Owen Power going into the draft isn't, is he good? It's how good is he? Because depending who you talk to, Owen Power could be anything from a second pairing defenseman to a number one Norris candidate. I tend to fall in the middle. Um, I, I don't think he's some super elite second coming of Victor Hedman, but I do think for a Red Wings comparison, where he is at this point in his career relative to um, where he can still improve. He is a superior prospect to Mo Sider. Um, so he shoots left. That is a position of need for the Red Wings. Uh, he can play penalty kill. He can play power play. He is your jackknife on defense. Any situation like these are all stupid hockey cliches, but they really do apply to Owen Power. You know, he's a 200 foot player, any situation, any time of the game. That is incredibly valuable on any NHL team. So if the Red Wings pick Owen Power first, third, fifth, 10th, I'm not unhappy. Do I think he has the highest ceiling of everybody in this draft? No, no, I don't. Do I think he has the highest floor of anybody in this draft. Yes, absolutely. So in a draft full of uncertainty, where he goes is probably going to be largely based on organizational need and how confident a team is in its scouting because you're not passing on Owen Power unless you are certain, certain about the guy you're picking. If you think Matty Beneers is going to be a true number one center in the NHL, if you think Ken Johnson's skills is going to translate into a true elite number one winger, if you think Jesper Walsat is a surefire Vesna candidate, okay, you can take them over Owen Power. And I absolutely will hear arguments for just about anybody in the top, in my top six. 
but you are getting what you are getting with Owen Power. It's just to what degree? Owen Power for me is, I think, a really good exercise, and it's the first player we're looking at here, so it's funny that I'm doing this already, but not focusing too much on the negatives. Um, This guy is 6'6". He's huge, and he can skate extremely well. He moves the puck so well. And I immediately think he shoots left and having that kind of offensive prowess uh, opposite more outsider on the top pairing. I love that top pairing in the future. Love it. Like, absolutely. And I agree with your statement, Brad. He has a high floor and he's a safe pick. And all this comes because the first thing I focused on, because what do I do with defensemen? I immediately first look to their the defensive aspect of their game, which is probably not in line with what modern NHL defensemen should be like the most effective ones. What I or I'm not, I don't want to say it's less of an issue, but an offensive defenseman will have a bigger impact on the game. But still, it's worth noting that Owen Power at best is, in, in my mind, sufficient defensively. Um, there have been points where I think he's been a defensive liability. I, I've, I've looked a lot into his progression over the year in Michigan, and he has gotten a little bit better uh, at things, for example, um, you know, stopping zone entries from the opposing team. Before, there was a lot of just kind of letting them walk in, and he's kind of improved his gap control there. He's done a lot better with positioning, but, you know, this is a huge guy who's not using his body as much as I would hope for him to do uh, on defense. Um, I don't love his defensive game but do i care very much in a draft where there aren't you know complete players you know to a defenseman who is you know excelling in both directions no and that really doesn't exist i think for draft eligible defensemen at the top end the defensive aspect of their game still takes quite a while to develop so yeah long story short this is a huge six foot six defenseman shoots uh left which is what detroit needs skates really well and moves the puck extremely well how is that not attractive for detroit um he should be in the conversation for wherever detroit's picking as to where compared to other players that is still completely out of my mind i i, I have a hard time nailing down you know any rankings quite yet yeah right now it's all about tears for me you're kind of just working it into oh empowered is going to be in the top whatever tier most people put together again you can split hairs over if you like this guy's offense better if you like this guy's you know goal scoring ability etc 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 and again it's a good problem to have in a draft it just sucks because there's (laughs) there's no alexi lafreniere's austin matthews jack eichel's connor mcdavid's in this draft so a lot of this sounds like it's to sell owen power short though because you know when you call someone a high floor guy, quote unquote, and he doesn't have the highest ceiling in this draft doesn't mean he doesn't have an incredibly high ceiling. I don't think he's ever going to be Victor Hedman. Um, I wouldn't bet on him being Victor Hedman. There is a reality where if everything goes well for him, he's not that far off. I mean, again, it, it can't be stressed enough. A six foot five, six foot six defenseman who can skate who can move the puck and has a bit of offensive touch. He is a unicorn because going into the draft, these are all things people were saying about Moritz Sider, except Moritz Sider didn't have an offensive game really going into the draft, at least according to anybody you talked to. He has since developed one and he has since developed a pretty damn good one. And that's a reason why everybody outside, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people are saying Mo Sider is the best defenseman in the world, not playing in the NHL right now. So if you already have a bit of that in Owen Power, I mean, 
the sky's the limit, truly and honestly. Now, the thing with scouting and what we're doing here is you watch his game and you go, is that going to happen? That's the question. And and to me, I don't think it's going to happen to a, a crazy degree. I don't love some of his decision-making in the offensive zone. Uh, he does tend to play a more reserved game, which could be a product of the system, could be a product of him being a freshman. Uh, his counting stats were pretty good for a freshman defenseman, but Michigan was a really good team. You would hope to see a little bit more. His counting stats in what would have been his draft year as an 0-2 with the Chicago Steel were really, really good. He was probably the best defenseman in the league that year. But then the arguments made that the Chicago Steel team he was on that year was like unbelievably stacked. Um so then it comes down to the question, was he a beneficiary of the stack team or was he a driver of the stack team? Now, most people say he was a driver, and I tend to agree. Um, but it does leave enough questions to say that, yeah, he's going to play in the NHL, but mm, is he the guy? Is he number one overall? Is he the best defenseman in this draft? Is he a franchise-changing defenseman? So. Again, it's it's nice to start with Owen Power as our prospect profile because it is all about the positives. There's very little I don't like about his game. I like just about every aspect of his game. It's just I don't think uh, certain parts of his game, like I said, his his offensive zone reads, his transition game, I don't think they're elite. Could they get there? Absolutely. So he's going to be fascinating to watch. It sucks because Michigan season's over too, so we're not getting any new information from this point on. So we we have what we know, and it's just going to be reviewing the tape to pick up some things we missed. Evan, you were going to jump in with your take. Um. Well, what's what's left to say? <laughs> Put uh, it on the bingo cards. <laughs> um. No, I I totally agree. Like Owen Powers is a GM's and a scout's dream. He's tall. He can. He has good offensive upside, um, and he he's a rather good skater. So I don't see how you could really miss on a guy like him. Um, there's certain aspects I'm not a huge fan of his game, um, but I, I, those things I think are all teachable things, uh, which may or may not bode well in Detroit. Depends how you feel <laughs> about the coaching regime. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly think he's a can't miss type prospect. So if you're somewhat uncertain about the other players in the top ten, I, I don't think there's any way you could go wrong picking Owen Powers. Um, Just one power, right? Yeah. Yes, reading's hard. Um, yeah, everything I've seen about like his the the cons to his game. They don't seem unteachable to me. Like people are saying, like he spends too much time below the circles in the offensive zone. Man, would someone like Barry Trotz get that out of you real quick? Um, yeah. If only we could find one of those. Um, yeah, I really like him as a prospect. Uh, you know, usually guys that tall have terrible mobility and terrible lateral mobility, but he seems to get around the around the ice better than most. So, you know. Whether he goes first, if he goes to Detroit at first or somewhere else in the top 10, I think I'd be very happy with that pick. Yeah, my uh, the most I can nitpick with Owen Powers um, offensive game is that he's a much better like he, his his hallmark is his playmaking. Like 
He's an extremely efficient, like extremely proficient passer. And all I can think of is, wow, it'd be great to have, you know, a score from the blue line. And now I'm like, all right, I'm getting a little greedy. <laughs> Just anyone who's good offensively. He's got a big shot. It would be yeah. nice to, you know, have that as an option at five yeah. on five or on the power play. Also, general rule of thumb rookie defenseman or young defenseman need a lot more patience and we're gonna have to really bring that to mind when Moritz Sider comes to the show for example all right that was our quick profile on Owen Power we will be circling back on him uh, but nice to kick this off um, we are getting a, a little long here so let's jump into overtime which is brought to you first and foremost by our Patreon supporters. We're going to start with John Evans, funny guy, John Evans. He says, hey, guys, greetings from Ohio. Worried that one of my friends uh, might have a gambling problem. Can Ryan recommend anywhere he should call? Friend lit travels a lot. So right now he could be in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, or Michigan. Funny, John. How many times do you think he had to listen back to that to get the names correct Honestly. and in <laughs> what I think is the correct order? It's like muscle memory for me now. Callan S says, is it a hot take that Stahl is better than DeKaiser? I know he can't pass, but he can't deke I there. Have you seen trade? uh, Have you seen Danny DeKaiser on anyone's trade board? It's true. Hey, oh wait, DeKaiser played today. Important note. He's now the Red Wings veteran defenseman that meets the requirements for the expansion draft. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're not going to have to lose Troy Stetcher because of the the requirements around exposing uh, a veteran defenseman who's played X amount of games. Uh, DeKaiser meets that, so now that frees up one problem, and if he never plays another game this season, I'm okay with it. Linda Hull says, what do you make of the secret or how secretive the Wings have been about Bertuzzi's injury, and how do you think his contract will play out as a result? they've definitely been more cagey, like more than just typical hockey coach cagey. The only information that we had that we have based on what they told us, like this is all, you know, from what's available. It's not a concussion. He is not even close to returning. It It's really kind of hard to say for certain whether it's something that was re-aggravated or that he shouldn't have been playing with in the first place because he kind of played half a game beyond when the injury supposedly happened. They initially thought he'd be day-to-day. So it's just a weird situation. As for his contract, I mean, not to be harsh here, but this is probably going to work out in the Red Wings' favor because Bertuzzi was having a super strong season. And if he continued at that pace, he'd come in a lot more expensive. So there's an opportunity to get him cheaper here if he was to to sign long-term, I I should say, because he's an RFA again at the end of the year. Yeah, and they they can always kick the can down the curb a bit longer, but then the UFA status comes into play. So how far do you really want to kick it? So I I don't know. It's In theory, it plays in the Red Wings' favor, but I don't have any good reason to say that, (laughs) truthfully. Uh, La Plata Peak says, as a Gen Xer, I remember a time before cable TV existed. I don't think those of us that grew up in Metro Detroit appreciate how lucky lucky uh, we were that we had CBC out of Windsor. Most people in the States who are my age never got a chance to see Wayne Gretzky win Stanley Cups with Edmonton, but because we had Channel 9, we had those memories. Along that, with uh, we had memories of today's special, the Polka Dot Door, Sharon Lois and Bram, and of course, a Canadian version of Sesame Street. In fact, I remember being reprimanded by my kindergarten teacher for saying Zed to end my alphabet recitations. I was never a Zed kid. I always said Z, Y and Z, but I guess it's Canadian to say Zed. Um, 
follow up on your discussion from previous episode, one of my biggest Canadian clues is hearing someone say organization. So those of you who picked that one did so rightly in the same vein. If you can make the word sorry rhyme with story as the great rock band Nickelback can, you're also speaking correctly. Anyway, since Evgeny Sveshnikov just gave the wings a lead, I have to run to see Brad's celebratory tweets. Nice little flash to the past. Uh, by Felicia asked about Thomas Grice's mask. We did cover that briefly in a previous episode. Nothing has really kind of come of that. Um, yeah, just weird situation overall. Ghost of Podcast Pass says Elliot Friedman says that the great hockey players of the past would be great no matter what era they played in. I think for the most part, that is bogus. Each of you give one player from the 80s or before that would have been great, and one player that would have been terrible. Um, well, it's. If you took them out of the 80s and teleported them and dropped them in today, they would all suck because nobody's going to be from the 80s, 70s, or 60s is going to be in the same physical condition or have the same athletic ability as players now. Players now start weight training and doing circuit training and all this high-intensity training when they're 12. Uh, These guys uh, started that at training camp. (laughs) Um, And... So, you know, as great as they were, as great as Bobby Orr was and his style of play would absolutely translate to the NHL now, in his condition, he, he would be good, but he wouldn't be effective. But if you take these guys and as they are and have them grow up in this world, they would all be good because when you're that naturally gifted and that dedicated, it happens. That being said, that's a boring political answer if you want to talk about as they were with what their skill sets were and who would be really really good like Gretzky would be good no matter what because he did it all with his brain Mario Lemieux would come into the NHL now and dominate as well because that big that skilled that smart he was unstoppable then he'd be unstoppable now and the way the game's played now he would absolutely be a-okay the guys that I think would struggle would be the guys who kind of gooned their way into a lot of offense and not to say they were bad players. They were great players for their era, but like if you take a hypothetically a guy like Cam Neely and put him in the NHL now is, is he going to be the same dominant player he was in the early nineties? No, probably not. He'd still be good. I'm not saying he wouldn't be a hall of fame. Like he, he wouldn't be a top player. Maybe not a hall of famer though. So there's better examples than that. I'm just struggling to pick them off the top of my head. So I'm just kind of generalizing. Scott Stevens would have been suspended for his whole career. Oh, yeah. He could right not play in the NHL now. He, he was a good defenseman. He won a Norris. But, yeah, he would be in the press box so often it wouldn't matter all that much. Uh, AJ Voss says, I'm a college senior and I've started the job search process. Uh, the wings have given me the motivation to apply for jobs I'm underqualified for because if an actual coach thinks Sam Gagne belongs on the power play, that means that there's a hiring manager that would give a recent grad a job. Uh, okay. You know what? Sam Gagne, I think, has had a good season, relatively speaking, and there are worse options than Sam Gagne if you're to pick, you know, a, a spare part, so to speak, or a depth player to put on the power play because of the Red Wings are never too far from remo- removed from a Darren Helm on the power play situation. I don't know. I, I understand the frustration, but it's hardly what I'm most concerned about on, on any given game. Um, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says hello again from Skarplinge in the municipality of Tirp in Uppsala Lan in Sweden. Thank you, Lars, for that. Bless you. 
Uh, it says Nolan Patrick uh, has had his struggles with an injury uh, in his draft year and has had migraine issues holding him out for almost a year and a half. He's 22 in a center. If the Flyers came at us with a deal from Mantha, including Patrick and a Flyers second rounder, would you take it? Absolutely not. Nolan would you do Pat- it? The- Nolan Patrick underperformed in his rookie year, had the injury, and is – uh, underperforming again this year it, it's tough to quantify is it because he's young is it because of the injuries or is it because he's just not that good because we don't know that answer i'm not taking the risk on it um what would you do if they bumped it to patrick in a first um it's closer like for reference where i'm at on nolan patrick and i'll just kind of call back to last episode i'd rather jake bean Philly is awful right now, so that could be a, a yeah. teen pick. Yeah, and that is relevant. That would be more important than the Nolan Patrick part of that trade. <laughs> um, also, have you tried Coke Zero Orange Vanilla? No, but that's yes. amazing. It is delicious. Also, Diet Coke uh, Toasted Vanilla. Very good. No toasted reacts. Vanilla. Yes, sir. I've got a case in my basement right now. Uh, Helsinki's American football team is called the 69ers. I think I need a jersey. Yes, Lars <laughs> tweeted me that and messaged me that. <laughs> I said, yes, I already know. I have season tickets. Uh, Taylor Tagel says, uh, found out I was being let go from my job four weeks ago, only a few days after my grandma pa- or my grandpa passed. It's been a month to say the least. Taylor, uh, we're so sorry. That's terrible. Um, sorry for your loss. Um, hopefully things turn around for you soon. Um, Taylor goes on to say Larkin, Fabry, Zadina says looks like a great first line. Fabry's invisible half the time because the other two draw so much attention. Mantha Hronik are looking more like themselves too. Question, who are the best call-ups from Grand Rapids or additions from Europe post-deadline uh, if and when we see some bodies move out? Haven't been able to follow the Griffins very much. So let's assume the 12 forwards that played today are set. And then we'll say... Two of them get traded, and one defenseman gets traded. Uh, Chalosky for defense, because, you know, let's get him a regular shift now. And for forwards, it's it's a boring answer, but Giovanni Smith and Taro Hirose. Um, Yeah, hopefully, again, Taylor, things turn around for you, and, and we're sorry again to hear about your loss. Uh, Cody Stark says, Rocco Grimaldi and I had U.S. history together at UND in 2012. I didn't know who he was at first, started bullshitting with him, uh, swearing as I usually do. He didn't seem to mind. Found out after roll call who he was. Super religious guy, like Tim Tebow religious. Always thought it was cool he didn't judge my vulgar language. Cool guy, just not when he's scoring like that on our wings. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he terrorized the Red Wings. It's not talk uh, about it. Yeah. Uh, Peter, uh, Kioth, I hope I'm saying that right. Peter says, hi guys with the NCAA tournament ongoing, might be a fun thought experiment to ask this. If you had to replace Blash with the coach from the college ranks, who would it be? Oh, I am not familiar enough with college coaching. I cannot <sighs> answer this question. Good. Neither am I, but I, I consistently see praise for a uh, Scott Sandlin. So I'll go with that. Uh, Sam Bankson says, uh, Bropel Stiltskins says, who are you rooting for now that Michigan has been coveted from the NCAA tournament? It's so depressing. I always had a soft spot for Minnesota Duluth. I would have said Quinnipiac, but uh, they're out. So Petrozelli watches on. Um, I, I generally just follow Michigan and Red Wings prospects. And I, off the top of my head, I don't know if there's all Red Wings prospects left. 
I don't. I is BU in it? Is Master Simone still playing? No. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. No. I don't. I don't know. If they are, we'll go with them. If not, um, who's got the best jerseys? We'll go with that. Oh, we'd have to look that up. Um, Kyle Hashman says, "Good two games. Heronic scoring from the only place he knows how. Our own red line. Kid scoring and Pickard uh, has back to back wins. Is Grace now the third string goalie?" Yeah, maybe I didn't give this enough attention before. Maybe they are. I don't know. I don't think too, too, what's it called? I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's worth noting. I still think Grice is the number two guy because he's the only Red Wings goalie still under contract for next season. So can't ignore that little tidbit. Um, but if this continues for a few weeks, then yeah, this could be something. Um, BU lost in the first round to St. Cloud State. Forgot about okay. that. Okay. St. Cloud State's jerseys suck. They're just Montreal, Chicago hybrid knockoff garbage. And then St. Cloud State beat Boston College. So they're just beating up on Boston sports. I am a fan of that, though. Boston yeah. sports generally suck. Um, North Dakota's out. They had some pretty sweet jerseys. Minnesota's got good jerseys, but I can't bring myself to cheer for Minnesota. Uh, Andrew Bohan says, hello, uh, lovely dub-dub boys. Have we all been sleeping on Pickard, or is it just a small sample size versus Grice? Uh, both can be true. I think it's a small sample size. I would never give a goalie a starting job or you know, a backup job even after two games, but Grice has sucked, so we'll see. Uh, he fought a parent. Says, turns out Columbus is the cure for what ails the wings. They love that comment, Evan, from last episode that you just <laughs> dropped nonchalantly. I don't know how how else to describe it. <laughs> a lot of parent. <laughs> uh, Brad's anger manifested. Says, just when I thought the wings couldn't get any worse after Nashville, go and do this and totally redeem themselves. Also, we're now nine points out of a playoff spot, so it could be a really fun rest of the season. No, don't do nope, that, please. Nope, don't do it. <laughs> nope, don't set yourself up for that hurt. Uh, Michael Barry says, what's the, what's the longest game you guys have played in? Um, I think I had a double overtime once, but never anything beyond that kid, like overtime in minor hockey sucks because you're on time constraints. So unless you're in the final game of a tournament, so uh, at least in the leagues, I grew up in, in most of the tournaments I played in, if it was a game that mattered, it would go and they didn't want to do shootout. It would just go 10 minute overtime. And then it would be like three minutes, four on four, three minutes, three on three, three minutes, two on two. I, I did play a game that got down to a one on one, um, which was freaking crazy. Um, but realistically, time wise, that wasn't even 20 minutes worth of overtime. So, yeah, it was not anything super crazy. Ryan Hanna brand fruit juice says, holy jumping. We have a win streak and we look pretty good while doing it. It's almost like if you played skilled younger guys, they figure it out. Weird. Uh, racing time. What a race by Hamilton and F1 and one hell of a race by Vinales and MotoGP today. Any first impressions or thoughts after the first race? Um, Red Bull have a super strong car. Lewis had to have the drive, like one of the best drives of his life and have a lot of luck on his side. Um, and have Perez not in the mix to mess up Mercedes's plan, which means we're going to have a fun season. That's not just an automatic world championship for Lewis and Mercedes. And I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan, and I'm excited by that. Uh, third man in says, hey, boys, Evan is right about Trappist Ales. Ten days spent visiting small breweries in Brussels and Bruges were some of the happiest and drunkest of my life. Go to your lo local specialty beer store, find an Orville, and enjoy. Okay, good to know. 
Uh, Evans Bingo Card says, don't know if you guys saw Prashant's post about Hronik's point breakdowns. It's interesting to see how many points he's had from secondary assists. Think that will complicate his next contract and any guesses on what it will be? Um, I actually caught that just a minute ago. Um, pre-read your comment here. And I think it speaks to what we've been saying about Hronik. Like, yeah, he's been having a productive season, but it's by no means has he been lighting the world on fire. And it's not to discredit the points completely, but yeah, these are not all primary assists. He's not scoring on the power play. Um, and this will probably affect his next contract if he doesn't find his, like, find his game, start improving again. Um, this is not a first line or a top pairing defenseman caliber play right now in my mind. No, it, we have a defenseman leading the team in scoring. If we were as excited about that as as if it were a true reflection of his play, we wouldn't ever shut up about it. But unfortunately, the circumstances around it all with the rest of the team being really bad and and a little of little bit of that being luck, yeah, we're we're not kicking down the door and saying this guy's a top echelon defenseman and it's good it's it's not nothing um but yeah his power play play has been borderline like just flat out bad this year so his offensive counting stats still leave me wanting in terms of how it's happening and i'm devin says does pineapple belong on pizza yes it does I don't care. Not on my pizza. Hmm. Look at that. There we go. We went around the world. (laughs) Uh, Stay Fresh Cheese Bag says, hey, I know. Let's acquire a bunch of first round picks by trading away all our crap. But seriously, there needs to be talk about uh, moving Grice. There's a reason why the German team won't have anything to do with him. Uh, You're Stevie Y watching Ekblad twist his knees, twist his knees into a pretzel. You pick up the phone and call Bill Zito. Who are you offering and for what? Ozzy for Hall of Fame, stay fresh cheese bags. Well, I'm offering uh, Mark Stahl for Spencer Knight, and when they laugh and I call back, hang up and I call back, I'm probably offering Mark Stahl still, but for, you know, a mid-round pick. <laughs> Florida would have been a great team to try to get some trade inefficiency, so to speak, of if they didn't have a if they weren't having a great year. But this seems to be the first year that they're actually playing to their talent level, so I don't think they'll be so easy to pick off from um ooh, some reddit questions waffles says what's the first food you order at the lca once you're able to go back they have a great taco place and they also do a mean zesty poutine that i'm a fan of i always get the four square deep dish pizza it is so greasy and so good i love it Oh, man, I haven't had anything from the LCA twice because I've been trying to make my way around. So my actual answer is something I haven't had yet. <laughs> I'm probably going to cry when we go back. Honestly. Um, Time for one more. Actually, no, two more because this one's funny. Red Wings 1023 says, I just want to say I appreciate the emphasis Brad puts on the word fine. <laughs> Brad. Fine. It's you say something bad a habit. It's, it's fine. Fine. You wind it up. Fine. Yeah, it's it's emphasizing the fact that it's fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a symptom of doing a podcast twice twice a week is people start to pick up in your cadence and your mannerisms, and they're like, "You do this," and I'm like, "I can't help it." No, the way I say that is a symptom of running a podcast and people overreacting with everything I say. So I have to emphasize the mundane things I say, so that when I say it's fine, it's 
don't make a big deal about my analysis on this one. Um, last comment here from Winger Dinger nineteen says thirty one thoughts commented that the wings were the main proponents for the lottery change, which isn't surprising. Oh shit! Uh, both American Fridge agreed that Eisman probably thinks the rebuild is going to take even longer than he expected. Do you think Eisman has pushed back his personal timeline since taking the job? As always, thank you for the awesome content and let's go Red Wings. Yes, yes absolutely. Have you seen this team? Okay, I, knew it I know was bad, but I didn't know it was this bad. <laughs> I know Brad and Evan both said yes, but I actually think it's worth noting here that definitely yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's you can draw a lot of lines here to the way Toronto did it. Look at how long Toronto sucked, and look at how many good players they drafted and still sucked. You don't have to go like it, some people might remember. It wasn't always sunshine and 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 daisies with Toronto. I mean, it's not now, but you know they had Kadri and they drafted Nylander and they drafted Marner and they still weren't doing well. And people were screaming and saying, "What are we doing wrong?" And the reality is, it just it takes a lot of luck and it takes a lot of time. So unless the Red Wings pick up a Matthews type, Shane Wright, Lambert, um, uh, what's the guy tearing up the uh, there's Savoy. Who else? Con- or Bedard? Connor like, Bedard, but he's not till 2023. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of variables, and Eisenman has to be conservative in his estimate. You cannot bank on Cider coming in and immediately bank- being a top defenseman. You cannot bank on Raymond coming in and immediately being a top, uh, you know, top three forward on the team or a top line winger. And even if they do, the Red Wings will still have other holes. So yeah. Like, here's the problem with the Red Wings rebuild, and this is the overly harsh reality that I think Red Wings fans really haven't come to grips on. On the current roster, do they have a true first-line player on a contender? You could argue yes, but the fact that you can argue no says everything you need to there. Do they have a true top-pairing defenseman on defense right now on the roster? Absolutely not. Okay. Do they have a true top line forward in the prospect pool? I would argue one. Do they have a true top pairing defenseman on defense? I would argue one, which means out of the five most important. Oh, and do they have a, a like starting goalie for the future? No. So out of the six most important pieces you need to be good, the Red Wings have two of them. And that's even a maybe. I, I'm betting Raymond and Sider are those guys, but there's still the chance they won't be. So, yeah, obviously Eisman probably sees this too. And he's like, okay, well, maybe if Larkin is the guy, we have half of the pieces. That's still three really goddamn big pieces you need to solve just to get the rebuild properly started. So, of course... No shit. All right. We're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We'll be back with you on Wednesday uh, to talk uh, more hockey and, of course, continue our uh, draft prospect profile series. We want to thank all of our listeners, uh, sponsors, of the, sponsors of the show, FanDuel Sportsbook, our name level uh, supporters on Patreon. That's Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Terry Driver of Evans Furkwagen, Taylor Tagel, uh, Arjun Shanker, Brandon M. By Felicia. Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hanali, Hassam Alkasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, 
Oral Roberts for uh, Fan Club, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Leighton, Evans Bingo Card, Heronix Piss Missile, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minema, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Stan Olson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Trevor Pebavar. Thank you all so much. See you later this week. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.